I hope you're ready to get started. Happy that you could be here this morning. We weren't sure if a lot of people were going to be able to make it this morning. Pray for those that couldn't. Uh, Let's start our service this morning. We're going to sing You Never Let Go. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. Even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near, and I will fear no evil. For my God is with me, and if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? And oh no, you never let go through the calm, through the storm. Oh no, never let go. And every high, every low, oh no, you never let go, Lord, you never let go of me. And I can see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on, a glorious light beyond all compare. There will be an end to these troubles. But until that day comes, we live to know you're here on the earth. And I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? And oh no, you never let go Through the calm, through the storm Oh no, you never let go And every high, every low Oh no, you never let go Lord, would you never let go of me? You keep on running and you never let go As we sing Oh no, you never let go through the calm, through the storms, oh no, never let go. And every high, and every low, oh no, never let go. Lord, would never let go of me. And I see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on. And there'll be an end to these troubles. But until that day comes, still I will praise you, still I will praise you. Sing that again. And I can see a light that is coming for a heart that holds on. And there'll be an end to these troubles, but until that day comes, still I will praise you. Still I will praise you We sing, oh no, never let go Through the calm, through the storm Oh no, never let go And every high, every low Oh no, 
never let go. Lord, would you never let go of me? Oh, no, you never let go. Through the calm, through the storm. Oh, no, you never let go. In every high, every low. Oh, no, you never let go. Lord, would you never let go of me? Lord, would you never let go of me? You're glad that the Lord will never let go of you this morning. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be glad you didn't bring a boat in this morning. Say hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Guys, it's good seeing everybody this morning. I know that it was a, a, a tumultuous night last night for many folks, and, and I tended to just sleep right through it, I guess, last night. However, there's a lot of people this morning that have some serious repercussions from the rain. But praise God for the rain. But let's pray for those that, for whatever reason, couldn't be here today because of it as well. But let's go to Lord in prayer. God, I just come before you this morning and thank you for an an awesome Sunday school this morning, a a great lesson we had there, fellowship and the breakfast we had. But God, I thank you most of all that we can now come into this part of the service, into your house, and know you're here just as much as you're everywhere else as well. Excuse me, that, that as long as we are gathered together in your name, you're going to be amongst us. So God, I pray this morning that those that couldn't be here, may you bless them wherever they may be and let them know that though you are pouring out your blessings and your spirit here upon this church, you can pour it out where they are as well. Give them peace, Lord, whether their roof was leaking or maybe their car got flooded, whatever it may be, let them know that you are still the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and you are still on the throne. God, may your name be lifted up and glorified this day. And God, if there is someone here today, young or old, that has never bowed a knee, that has never accepted you as their Lord and their Savior, may this be the day they choose life over death. May they accept you before it's too late. God, we give you all honor, praise, and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 As I say, it's good seeing everybody this morning. I praise the Lord for each one of you. Walk around a second and just shake somebody's hand, give them a hug, and just let them know it's good to be in God's house today. I really like this stuff. It even snaps. I see the city lights all around me. Everyone's obscure.
Guys, as we gather back to our seats this morning, I know they're, they're all today. Oh, there you go. All right, as we gather back to our seats this morning, just a few things I want to share. Let me actually let me skip that one and move down a little to everybody's their seats. Um, September 10th is our Hammerfest is coming up. If you don't know what Hammerfest is, it was a uh, the big bike rally that starts in Lavernia and goes through, and we're one of the rest stops on it. It's coming up rather quickly. So if you have not already filled out your paperwork that needs to go along with that, I'm going to encourage you to get with Miss Carla. Miss Carla, is it too late to fill it out? I didn't hear what you said, ma'am. You have blanks. Okay. So if you are, if you're planning to work with the the. It's not, a, it's not a church thing that you have to fill out the paperwork, but to work with the organization in general, it's a little bit of paperwork that you have to do. Nothing, nothing hard, all very simple. So I encourage you, if you'd like to come and be a part, it's a pirate theme this year. Uh, we always have a great time. It's fun doing this, and it's a great opportunity to interact with the, with the community. Um, several years, or it's always several hundred bikers that come through here, motor, uh, motorcyclists, bicyclists that come through, and this is one of the rest areas, and, and every year, the last several years, they, they say this is the greatest rest area on the route. Now, should we take credit for that? No, God gets the credit, but it is an opportunity for us to let them see. A lot of these folks probably never go to church. Let them see that church people have fun too. Amen? So if you want to come and be a part of that, that's going to be on the 10th of September. But I need to get you to fill out the paperwork that Miss Carla has with her. Another thing I want to mention this morning is if you happen to notice the discrepancy. There's a discrepancy in your bulletin this morning. It says, we are very short for the month already, talking about our tithes and offerings, but yet it said we were over budget. That wasn't supposed to be 8852 It's supposed to be just $820 is the number there. There was an extra digit with an 8 in it there. So it's, um, pardon? That was left from last month. So uh, incredibly, incredibly short this month. So just pray about that. The Lord's laying that on your heart uh, to handle that as well. The other thing I wanted to mention is the pool party. If you was not able to, to go to the pool party this week, we had a great time. A lot of youth, a lot of kids were there, youth and kids. So we had a, a great time. We do that once a year. So if you wasn't able to make it, it'll be this about this time next year as well. But thank you for your prayers and that, and everything went well there. The only other thing I was going to mention before I call up Bob to do the scripture reading is that, as you may have noticed, his wife, Sister Shaney, hasn't been over here singing the, the last couple of weeks. She is in Japan with her son and daughter-in-law and, and just had a baby and helping with the baby. So she's going to be in Japan for another couple Where's Bob? Oh, for another couple months, right? So going to be there another couple of months. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there so we'll remember to keep praying for her as she is over in, a, in another culture helping out the kids and, or helping out her kids raise her grandbaby there, get the baby started and all that kind of good stuff. All right. I think that's enough of that, brother. If you want to come on. Oh, I didn't mean to bring that up. Oh, well. <laughs> Absolutely. Father God, I lift up my brother to you, and thank you for allowing us to, to hear you through him, Father God, it's, whether it be in song or with the scripture reading as you're doing now. May you just, just bless our ears to what we're going to hear, and may you bless my brother and bless his family 
for his willingness and obedience in coming and opening the scriptures with us this morning. God, thank you for, for him and for his family and for you, most of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning. It's great to be in the house of the Lord with my spiritual family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to share a verse that uh, probably all of you learned when you were really young. But I think sometimes we kind of take a, a tertiary look at this verse and we don't really think about the power and what this verse really says. I'm reading from the third chapter of John, starting with verse 16 and going through verse 18. For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And the part that I think that we kind of... um, don't pay enough attention to because we get really happy about the fact of being saved and everything is the way that this passage of scripture says three times that Jesus is God's one and only son. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse six, that I am the way, the truth and the life. No man shall cometh unto the father, but by me, right? He said there was one path. And I think that it's really easy to get confused nowadays because there are a lot of um, influential people who say that all roads lead to heaven and that um, whether you praise Allah or you praise Jesus or whether you praise Buddha, that we're all praising the same God. That's not true. And God told us right here in his word that there's only one way. Um, In the book of the Quran, in Surah 2391, it says, No son did God beget, nor is there any God along with him. But the Bible on over nine occasions says that Jesus is the one and only begotten Son of God Amen. and that he's the only path to heaven. And so I'd like to share, turn into the, um, the chapter of First John, chapter, three, chapter 4, verse 3. And there is a spirit called the spirit of the Antichrist, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist. It says, but every spirit who does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. You have heard that he is coming, and he is already in the world now. And we know that the spirit of the Antichrist will become stronger before Jesus comes back to claim his spotless bride. And I think we're seeing that around us, so we need to be um, watchful and realize and not be deceived that there aren't multiple paths to heaven, that Jesus is the only Son of God. In any spirit that denies that Jesus is the Son of God. And what does that um, book, Surah, in the Quran say? It says, Allah neither begot nor was begotten, and that there is no son, no other God was with him, and there's no God beside him. But we know that Jesus was with him because John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Absolutely. So let's uh, pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house of worship, and we thank you for our family here that's with us, Lord God, and we just pray that you'd bless those that aren't able to be here. And Father, we just pray that you'd continue to watch over this your congregation, Lord God, and we pray that you would give us boldness and strength to go out and proclaim the gospel to those that might be lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother.
I got it. I got it. I was watching. As I break it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to read about another John. This is John the Baptist here. Uh, Brother Bob read from the Gospel of John that was written by a different John. This is the start in verse 7 because uh, John was running around preaching and baptizing uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Um, and he was preaching, someone more powerful than I will come after me. Uh, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, which is what we're going to do here today. Um, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism that really saves you. Uh, this is just a symbolic baptism. It's just water. Uh, but we're told to do it. Uh, in fact, if you read on, Jesus himself did it. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan River by John. As soon as he came out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending to him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. God takes delight in this. We're being obedient. God said to do it. Jesus did it. Uh, Jesus wouldn't have needed to have been baptized. He did it out of obedience. That's why he needed to. Um, Immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Um, it came, the temptations came immediate for Jesus after his baptism. Um, we need to be in prayer for Raina uh, that after her uh, act of obedience here, we need to be in prayer that she stays strong in the Holy Spirit in the guidance of the Holy Spirit that um, the Spirit will guide her to do what's right because we're all attacked by that, uh, by Satan in those ways. So uh, my granddaughter, Raina, I get to baptize today. Uh, she has uh, expressed her faith in Jesus as her Savior. So uh, there's nothing to keep us from baptizing her. This water is warm. It feels good. Rain and I don't think you have to be in the water right now on me, us. Okay. Okay, Raina. Um, why do we get to do this right now? You, you have accepted Jesus, right? As your Savior. Okay, by your uh, confession of your faith, in Jesus uh, I now get to baptize you my granddaughter but more importantly my sister in Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit down with the old and up with the new Prayer for her. But first of all, I want to just say, 
if if you know Jesus and you haven't followed through in obedience of baptism, this is just water. This is my first time to do this in a baptistry. I've baptized someone in a cattle trough once, but <laughs> there's nothing to keep you from it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you. Hallelujah. Ethiopian eunuch, when he saw the water, if you remember in the scriptures, he said, what denies me from being baptized? And Philip said, nothing. Let's do it right now. And so that, that our sister, Raina, sister in Christ, she accepted Christ at the camp a few weeks back. And, and we have the water here, and her granddaddy gets to do it. But most of all, that baptism by the Spirit has already taken place. And she is our sister. And you, she has made a public proclamation to all of us. As Brian said, we need to lift her up in prayer. Amen? So let's take her to the Lord now. Father God, thank you for allowing us to witness this. Allow, thank you for allowing her, her grandpa, Grumpy, to be able to, to do this for her, Lord God. Uh, but most of all, thank you that we know that you said that whomsoever professes with their mouth and believes in their heart, so shall they be saved. You have washed our little sister there, and may we now lift her up to you and ask you to give us guidance and wisdom as to how to pray for her and her family. And God, may she continue to grow in you. Thank you, Lord, for your gift to us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Huh? Yeah. No. Uh -oh. A little bit. It's just a flash flood warning. Just a yeah. flash flood warning. That's okay. <laughs> What's bad is they're all going to go off in a minute. <laughs> oh, yours did? <laughs> what a better way to get flooded it's, it's than praising, <laughs> praising the house of the Lord. That's right. Okay. We're going to sing The Lily of the Valley. I had to, I had to say that to make it clear because we weren't exactly sure what song we were going to sing next, but now we know. The Lily of the Valley. I found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Hallelujah. The lily of the valley, in him alone I stand. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow, he's my comfort. In trouble, he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. The lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He all my grief is taken and all my sorrows born. In temptation he's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken and all my idols torn. From my heart and now he keeps me by his power. Though all the world forsake me and Satan tempt me sore, through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. 
He will never ever leave me, nor yet forsake me here. What I live by faith and do is blessed will. Hallelujah. A wall of fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. From this man he my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up to glory to see his blessed face, where rivers of delight shall ever roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. This song is called Even So Come. All of creation, all of the earth, Make straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinners, wake up the same. Let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon Like a bride waiting for a groom Will be church ready for you Every heart longing for our King We see even so come Lord Jesus, come, and even so come, Lord Jesus, come, and there will be justice, all will be new, your name forever, faithful and true. Jesus is coming soon Like a bride waiting for a groom We'll be church ready for you Every heart longing for our King We see even so come Lord Jesus, come, even so come, Lord Jesus, come, so we So we wait, we 
Jesus come even so come Lord Jesus come even so come Lord Jesus come even so come Lord Jesus You are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me you are love you are love on display for all to see you are light you are light when the darkness closes in you are hope you are hope you have covered all my sin you are peace you are peace when my fear is crippling you are true you are true even in my wandering you are joy you are joy you're the reason that i sing you are life you are life in you death has lost its sting to your arms I'm running to your arms the riches of your love will always be enough nothing compares to your embrace light of the world forever you are more you are more than my words will ever say you are lord you are lord all creation will proclaim you are here you are here in your presence i made whole you are god you are god of all of your love will always be enough nothing compares 
light of the world forever I'm running to your arms I'm running to your arms the riches of your love will always be enough nothing compares to your embrace light of the world forever my heart will sing no other name Jesus Jesus my heart will sing no other name My heart will sing No other name Jesus Jesus My heart will sing No other name Jesus Jesus
my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a love His mercy reigns unending love amazing grace Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, like a flood, mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we know less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. shall soon dissolve like snow the sun forbear to shine but God who called me here below will be forever mine will be Forever mine, you are forever mine. Sing this chorus. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. Like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace, unending love, amazing grace, unending love, amazing. Father God, thank you for that unending love and that amazing grace where no matter what has transpired in our life, we can come to you and the chains can be broken and we can be redeemed and washed again. Father, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, between Bob's sermon, the, the baptism, and the music, I could almost say we already had church and not get up here. However, however, doesn't mean that's what I'm going to do. That is absolutely correct. Now, I do feel as though we need to address something this morning. <clears throat> We're going to look this morning at a concept. If you're going to be turning to the book of Romans, it'll be a little bit before I actually get there, I believe. But it's something that I had to deal with quite a bit this week. Um, a lot of conversations that transpired and a lot of conversations came up and it showed me how much that we have gotten caught up in indoctrination and gotten caught up in mythology rather than theology. That, that we have been a lot of people being, a lot, being very judgmental and critical without any biblical basis. And as I was praying about this, I felt as though it was a social issue that we needed to talk about here in the church this morning that oftentimes gets overlooked. And for that reason, people tend to run with, with tradition rather than what's correct to be said. Unfortunately, the church in general, I'm not saying about our specific church right now, but unfortunately, the church in general oftentimes do not deal openly with social issues. We think that that, that they will just go away if we ignore them, or we'll sweep them under the carpet thinking that somebody else should deal with them. But folks, let me say this morning that we not only owe it to ourselves to let God deal with it through this right here, but we owe it to our children to not act like they don't exist and not speak about things, and then when they get older and grow up, they have no clue as to how to accept and or walk upon the face of this earth in social conditions that the Bible speaks very clearly to. Well, what I'd like us to speak and think about this morning, because it doesn't go away, is suicide. Suicide is one of those problems that tends in churches to get swept under the rug and just picked up with some kind of traditional thought pattern. We don't talk about it very often because it's shocking. It really is. It, it, it is something that leaves us spe speechless. Sometimes I think we even feel helpless and not. we don't have the slightest inkling of how to deal with it because it's been swept under the carpet so many times. We, act, we want to pretend that it doesn't exist, but yet it's closer to many people than they like to admit. I think it gets closer to us individually than we like to admit. Maybe you've never considered it, but there may be some in here this morning that have actually been to that point where they, they, they've actually considered this, uh, that suicide. And if you have not, then there's a good, really good chance that someone close to you has and or went through with it. Someone within your real, very close sphere of influence has probably thought about it at one time or another. I, as we approach this topic today, I understand that it weighs heavy on the minds of many. This week, if you didn't know, we did have a suicide very close to the church, and we had to have a, a funeral service here at the church this week because of a suicide. And I would say that there's not, there, there's not a whole lot out there that is more heartbreaking than a suicide because it affects so many people more than the one who is lost, the family, the friends, the acquaintances. And it's so quick. It comes so unexpectedly. It, 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 there's a lot more that's, in, that's affected than just the, the, the one person, that solitary person. It affects generations to come even when it, is, it transpires. I, in no way should we even remotely entertain the idea that, it, that we should sweep it under the carpet. 
it needs to be addressed. It is something that, that we need to talk to. What, what does the Bible say about it? Now, I understand the Bible has, has, contains at least two prohibitions against killing, both in Exodus and, both in Deut- and, and also Deuteronomy. But folks, let me say this. Nowhere, nowhere, absolutely nowhere, does it expressly forbid suicide. Now, why am I saying that? Is, am I saying it's okay? No. It is, it is a sin. The, the, it is an absolute sin. It is a sin. There is no denying the fact that suicide is breaking God's law. However, nowhere in the Scripture does the word actually mention. We come up with these arguments and we come up with these terms to talk about, well, suicide is the unforgivable sin. That is not scriptural. That is not in the Scripture anywhere. There is very little in the Bible that actually speaks to the morality of suicide. In fact, there's nothing that speaks to the morality of suicide. Nowhere, from cover to cover. Now, I, somebody else's phone that time, it's not mine. There are, there's at least seven, I looked through, there are seven different people, according to the Bible, seven different people within the Scriptures that committed suicide. Now, I wanted to share each one of these with you this morning and listen to what happened. The first one was Abimelech. Abimelech in Judges chapter 9, verse 54, if you want to go and look at it. But Abimelech is there, and he had already received a death blow. He was already dying. He was in the process of dying. So, so he asked his cohort there, he says that, that I, I, my, his servant, I, I can't finish this. Will you finish me off? I'm already going to die. And so his, his servant, and he finishes the job for him. Now, what was the reasoning behind that? He didn't want his memory to be defiled by being killed by a woman. That was the whole point in having this guy go ahead and finish it off. Samson, in Judges chapter 9, this was a suicide as well. Samson pulled the building in upon himself. God enabled him to do so, but he still commits suicide. What was the reasoning behind that? There could have been revenge because they gouged out his eyes, but most believe it's because he was carrying out God's assignment to deliver the Israelites, to deliver his people from the hands of the Philistines. Doesn't change the fact that there was a suicide. And, and then you have Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 4. It, 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 when, when Saul is, is there, he sees he's, he's already been wounded. He sees the battle is about to be lost. It, whether he's mortally wounded or not is very questionable. But he asks his armor bearer, his sword bearer, that is not mine, right? He asked his armor bearer, he asked his sword bearer to go ahead and finish him off. Now, his sword bearer says, no, I'm, I'm not going to be a part of killing off the anointed one. So what did Saul do? He sets up his sword and he falls upon his own sword and commits suicide. What was the reason for the suicide? He, he didn't want to endure the torture that was about to happen by him losing this battle and being the king on the losing side of the battlefield. Now, the armor bearer, seeing that his king just committed suicide in 1 Samuel 31.5, seeing that, that Saul is gone, his master, his king, already has committed suicide, tends to stop and say, wow, look, I guess I need to do this as well. And there's a sub-point in that. A lot of people say that suicide is hereditary, that it's genetic. It is not genetic. Unfortunately, what happens oftentimes is those who see their parents or those close to them commit suicide thinks it's okay or thinks that this is the way out, and follows through with it themselves, which is not a choice that has to be made that way. But the armor bearer, seeing that Saul committed suicide, stops, looks at it, reasoned, if this battle is lost, my king has lost his his life, he committed suicide, I don't want to be tortured either, so he commits suicide also. Seeing another, following another, fearing the torture, whatever the reason may be. 
I'm sharing all these suicides that were in the scriptures with you to give you the story here. There was the person who did it, the person that committed the suicide. Here was the reason behind their suicide. But yet, we still see nothing spoken directly to the way they died. Epithraphal, in 2 Samuel chapter 17, he sees what's going on. He, he, was, a, he was one of David's best counselors. He, he, he was an advisor to King David himself. When, if you've never read the story of Absalom, the son of David, I would encourage you to go back and read all these stories, actually. But Absalom revolts. He turns against his daddy. He's leading this, this rebellion, if you will. And, and so he switches sides. Atherful goes and becomes Absalom's counselor after David's relationship with Beersheba. He, he, he said, I'm just going to go ahead and jump sides. Well, clearly, he foresaw the result of the battle of Huchai. He saw that, that this was not going to work. And he knew himself that he was going to be tried as a traitor now when David comes back in power. He was out of the will of God. He was on Absalom's side. I mean, yeah, Absalom's side. And he commits suicide. He saw the rebellion failing. What was the reasoning? Rebellion's failing. I'm going to be a traitor. I'll just go ahead and take my own life. Boom. End of story again. You have Zimri in 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 16, he had murdered the king. He murdered the king and all his family so that he could become king. He's thinking, all right, I am the, I'm going to be top dog now. When he becomes king, he only reigns seven days. Seven days he's there as king, but in those seven days, Omri had come, taken Tizer, the city of Tizer, and was coming against him. He knew he had no followers. He had no people that would bow down. He thought like King Henry did of England, that it must be great to be king, not when the people do not support you. He took over, he killed the family, became king. Seven days later, he realized this isn't going to work. They're going to murder me. So what does he do? He sets the palace on fire and burns along with it inside the palace. Dies right there, commits suicide. I share all seven of these suicides with you because these are the seven suicides that are mentioned within the scripture. We see these in there. Oh, and Judas, obviously. How could I forget Judas? In the New Testament, we have Judas and Matthew. And for those that don't know, Judas had betrayed Jesus. He remember too, Judas. Judas wanted an uprising. Judas was was wanting the, the Jesus to lead an uprising and and come against Rome and t- throw them out. So Judas, when he did this, he assumed he figured that Jesus would escape. You know, the angels would come and free him, and he would be in his anger, then just raise up the army and and defeat the Romans. When he saw that was not the case, though when he saw that Jesus was going to die, when he saw what was transpiring to Jesus because of his turning him over, all of a sudden he was covered in guilt. And he takes and he goes back to the Pharisees and he he throws their 30 pieces of silver at them and says, I don't want a part of this. This is innocent blood. I don't want to do anything with this. And they say, it's too late. You've already done your part. Why, Why do we care about you? And so what does he do? In his intense guilt, he goes and hangs himself. He was covered in guilt and hopelessness, and was an outcast, and he hangs himself. Now, I share all these different suicides with you. That's all the suicides that I could find in the Scripture, that I could biblically back up and say that these were suicides. And I share every one of those for this reason. Now, of all those, there appears absolutely no comment on the rightness or the immorality of the act of suicide. Every one of them is mentioned, but nowhere was it mentioned about the immorality of the suicide. It wasn't until 372, the 4th century, that St. Augustine come into the picture and gave any 
formal written link of suicide to sin. It's not in the scripture. When we read about suicide being the unpardonable sin, that was almost 400 years after Jesus and the apostles that anybody had written or said such a thing. It was the church father, one of the early fathers, one of the early Catholic men, that said that this was an unforgivable sin. St. Augustine defined it as being a sin because it was being killed without any, any ability to repent. So therefore, it must be an unforgivable sin. And then St. Aquinas, Aquinas came in, and he defined suicide. He said, looked at it and said, it's a mortal sin because it ursiped the power from God to decide when or if a person shall die. Neither one of those are scripturally founded, neither one of those statements, and neither one of them can be argued with Scripture. The question I was asked often this week, and I've been asked often before, but especially this week, is that if a Christian commits suicide, listen to me now, if a Christian commits suicide, will they still go to heaven? The answer to that question is in the question. If a person is truly a Christian, if a person is truly a Christian, not just in mouth, not just in wearing the Christian t-shirts, if somebody truly has surrendered their life to Christ, they truly have turned their life over and put it in the hands of God all Matt, Matt mighty, then I would say no matter how they die, whether suicide or homicide, whether it be a, a, an accident or whether it was old age, whether it was disease or whether it was malpractice of some sort, no matter how they die, if you are a Christian, regardless of the method that you die, you're going to go to heaven. Why? Jesus said that death was created and that death no longer has a sting through the blood of Jesus Christ. And whomever believes in Christ is no longer accountable to death. That physical death. It is not, that, I mean, we're all accountable to physical death, but not that spiritual death. He has paid that price, and it's not going to come anymore. Nowhere in the Bible, absolutely nowhere, do you read that suicide is a sin that keeps you out of heaven. It's not there, folks. We do read in the Bible that, that as a Christian you have eternal life. In John chapter 10, it says, I give them eternal life so that they shall never perish. Neither shall that any man snatch them from my hand. Nothing can snatch us from the Father's hand once we have that eternal life. Jesus is not what we would call an Indian giver. He does not give us something and then snatch it back from us. If a man or a woman truly knows Jesus Christ as their Lord or their Savior, regardless of how they die, death no longer has a sting. Now, some people like to try to define exactly what suicide is. Well, you know, if you do it this way or you do it that way, death is death. If you go to the doctor and he says to quit eating sweets or you're going to die and you keep eating sweets, guess what? Folks, we need to understand it is not for us to judge the spirituality of a man or woman. It's up to Christ. And it's when that man or that woman stands before the Lord and God knows their heart. That's what decides whether they enter into heaven or not. When they stand before the Lord, because it says that every one of us is appointed on the man once to die and then to face the judgment. Every one of us is going to bow a knee at some point or another before Jesus Christ. And when we bow our knee before him, he knows our heart. He knows whether our name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And he knows that once our name is written in the blood of Jesus Christ, there is not an eraser made that can take us out of it. The question is, was it truly written or not? 
Were we really there? In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, he says, in the hope of eternal life, that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. And he promises before time begins. Folks, God doesn't lie. And if he said that whomsoever believes with their mouth, heart and speaks with their mouth, they shall, so shall they be saved, then that's the way it is. Now understand, suicide is a sin. I'm not watering that down. I think anyone who does that is going to stand before the Lord and they're not going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's going to be an accounting of every one of our lives, the scripture says, when we stand before God. When we, when we, when we do, when we, if we are contemplating or someone who carries that through, they're saying that I can't take it anymore and God, you can't do anything about it. It's not trusting God. It's not trusting him that, that he can be bigger than whatever it is. But guess what, folks? Yes, that is a sin, but how many other things do we not trust God with as well? Sin is sin is sin. Reason with me just a moment. If a person is, is, is haunted by multiple personalities, let's say they're schizophrenic and, 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 and they start having all these different things going on in their mind, is, is God going to condemn them for being incapable of reasoning? And if so, which personality is he going to condemn and which one's he going to save? When a man or a woman has been given these psychotropic meds that so many counselors like to just hand out like candy to people anymore, when they say right on them that one of the major side effects is suicidal tendencies, they're taking this medicine that has suicidal tendency that messes up the, 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 hormone, the, the chemicals in their brain, and all of a sudden they make a dumb decision because of the medicines that another doctor had given them. And they stand before the Lord. God, is God going to say, yeah, you believe me, but you, know, you shouldn't have taken the meds? We serve a just God. We serve a God who is a true judge, a righteous judge. It is not for you and I to try to decide whether or not a man or a woman gets into heaven. It is for you and I to pray for the family of those that are left behind. It is up to you and I to do what we can to console the families of those that have made those horrible decisions and those horrible choices that affect generation after generation. It is not for me to judge the man or the woman that has committed the act. At that point, they stand in the presence of their God who is the judge. And he decides whether or not they knew Christ or not. Because the only unpardonable sin is to turn your back on the Holy Spirit of God. And if the Holy Spirit of God is calling out and saying, come on to me and, 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 and know that when you labor, come on to me, I'm going to give you rest, I'm going to give you my grace, I'm going to give you my mercy, and you turn your back and walk from that, and then you commit the suicide, well, guess what? You'll stand before the Lord, and God's going to say, it's not the suicide that's not letting you in, it's the fact that I never knew you never accepted me and because of that i desire in my heart that none should perish no not one that's what he says in the book of peter but because you choose not life you chose death the only unpardonable sin is turning away from the spirit of an almighty god who loves us enough to reach out to us and say i love you here i am i i, I want to hold you you know, there's many theories that are commonly taught, but those that, that, that speaks to something like that, those who have committed suicide are lost forever, that there's no mercy, that there's no hope, there's nothing that can be done for them. Because they can't speak afterwards, it's, it's all a wash. 
However, biblically, that's just not true. And I, I, I just found this this week, and I shared it Thursday when I was preaching at that ceremony. I've shared it with a couple other people since. But you know what? The Bible speaks opposite to that. If we really want to make a biblical statement here, what am I saying? We know, and if you haven't read the story, I, I encourage you to go back and read the story of Samson. The story of Samson is a, a powerful story. But you know how Samson dies? He has been gouged. He's been uh, everything that's happened to him. He's chained to the pillars of the wall of, of this Philistine temple. And the Philistines are all around him. And he prays, Lord, give me back my strength one last time so that I can pull this building in upon myself and upon these Philistines. And you know what he does? God blesses and gives him that strength. And he pulls the building in and commits suicide, taking the Philistines with him. But he commits suicide. It's a done deal. There's no mincing of words. He kills himself in this act. He does it to himself. But you know what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament? That Samson was a righteous man. Now, I would submit to you that if Samson is a righteous man by the words of the Hebrew writer, then there is no way that he could have committed an unpardonable sin because sin can't enter into the realm of righteousness. For him to be able to enter into the realm of righteousness, to enter into God's kingdom, he had to have no sin. That means that the sin was forgiven. What sin was forgiven? All of them, plus the sin of killing himself in that suicide. Biblically, sin is a, I'm, sin is a sin. Suicide is a sin. No way around it. But is it an unpardonable sin? Absolutely not. How can God deem one worthy and righteous to enter into glory if he had some type of unpardonable sin? He could not. When we hear someone that's when we hear someone that has acted in this way, when we hear someone that has made that choice and made that decision, we should be slow to judge and quick to pray. We should stop ourselves from talking and, and mumbling and gossiping about what, what could have happened or what should have happened in their lives or what led them to this or what person is responsible or that person is responsible because the only person responsible really is the one who commits the act. And that one who committed the action is not in our presence anymore. Let's leave him to the one whose presence he's in. It should not bring families warring with one another. We should be praying with one another. We don't always understand. We don't always understand what we see and, and what we hear. We may not know everything that transpires here, but God does. Now, most of y'all know, when I think of pastors, when I think of, of mentors, of course, there's Brother Leonard, who I really look at as a mentor. But if I look at famous ones, most of y'all know that I truly enjoy the teachings of Dr. Adrian Rogers. And sometimes I'll go back to his teachings. If I have something that I want to hear another pastor say, not that there's not good pastors here around us, I just like Adrian Rogers. And I went back, and listen to what Adrian Rogers said. He said, I have, known, I have known at least one Christian man who ended his life as he was undergoing severe pain from cancer and the effects of cancer. Keep in mind, death is never pretty. It's never kind. It is an enemy no matter the form. Suicide does not change the destiny of a person but seems to just expedite the trip. It's a, I say seems to, because with God, there was no surprises anyway. God already knew the beginning from the end and knew when this was going to happen. I think he's absolutely correct, folks. 
Is suicide an unpardonable sin? No, it is not. When a man or a woman gets saved, all sin, every bit of it, is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Every iota, all sins, past, present, and future, all of them. If you remember when Jesus died, none of us existed. What does that mean? If, he, if I say that he died for my sins, that means Jesus died 2,000 years ago, a little more, for the sins that I commit today. He died to cover all our sins. He paid for every last one of them. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he says this. Except I can't find it. Romans 38 and 39. For I am, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Oh, I can see. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Notice what he says there. He lists off all these things. But verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not any created thing. Nothing can separate the believer from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. No deed, no act, no created thing. Death was created when Adam, in the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, took and did what he was not supposed to. Death comes into existence. It was a created thing of God that in Revelation we can see will be destroyed one day. In the meantime, Christ died so that death does not have a sting over his people. There is nothing that can come between the love of Jesus Christ, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, and the true believer. Too many families have had to hold their heads down in shame because a loved one has taken their life and people at the churches are, are looking down on, wow, your, your husband, your wife, your, wife your, your, your son, your daughter, your, your daddy, whomever it may be, took his life. He can never get into heaven. Folks, that is not only unbiblical, it is not showing the grace and mercy of God. And people that have to go through that should not have to carry their head in shame while the church condemns them. We have not that right. It is for God and God alone that decides who enters in and who enters not. While we can not change the mindset of individuals sometimes, we sure can offer our prayerful support. We should be in prayer, not judgment. As a church, as Christians, we should be in prayer for those who, who have made that or, or coupled with someone who's made that decision. We should be praying for those that their lives have been touched by such a, a harsh and immediate action that changes everything. But we need to understand, it's not for us. To do. When a believer was born into the family of God, the Scriptures teach it happened right then. Not later. Not, not after some funeral. Not after some deathbed salvation. You know, praise God for Raina's coming up and, and bat, being baptized this morning. And I praise God for you, baby, making that public expression in front of everybody like that. It takes courage. But you know what took more courage than her coming and doing that? When she walked down before everybody a few weeks ago and accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. That's when salvation came. This water did not save her. Grumpy didn't save her. Brian didn't save her. Jesus Christ did. 
And he saved her the day she opened her heart to him. And you know what? Nothing can come between Christ and her again. Now, she can turn away at some point, and that's what we got to pray that she doesn't do. And she can walk and, and finally turn back around. God will be right there. But nothing can snatch her from the Father's hands. In Romans chapter 12, in Romans 12, I want us to look at one more thing here. Here. In Romans 12, just a couple of pages over. Actually, look, go to Romans 5. That's where it is. Yeah, there we go. Romans 5, verse 12. There we go. Romans 5, verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all men because all sin. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to one's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgressions. He is a prototype of the coming one. But the gift is not like trespass. For if by the one man's trespass that many died, that means Adam's sin, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because when one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through as one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as though one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, there is life-giving justification for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin is multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice what he says one more time. So that sin reigned in death. Sin reigns through death, but also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus. Sin reigns when we are locked in death, when we are split from the love of Christ, when we have not been saved, then death reigns. But through the righteous act of Jesus Christ upon that cross, it says it is multiplied more. Through His grace, through His mercy, all who are part of Him have eternal life through righteousness, through Jesus Christ. In other words, guys, death, the darkness of death, has its sting upon those who do not know him. But those who do have eternal life. Adam surely, he, he died spiritually in the garden just as surely as you hear me my words. Just as much as you see my bald-headed, ugly face right here, Adam sinned. And he had a spiritual death. But the Adam of the New Testament, the new Adam, Jesus Christ, by his righteous act, by what he did on that cross, brought it all back. The first Adam brought death and sin. The second Adam brought grace, mercy, and salvation and multiplied it even more. As awful as suicide might be on the family, it is not the final analysis on death. Death cannot separate us from the love of God. It cannot. 
Jesus pulled the stinger out of death. When he died on that cross, he was resurrected from the dead. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is alive right now, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Death no longer has a hold on him, nor those who are in him. Paul says, death, where is your sting? For the righteousness of God, the victory of Jesus Christ, abounds in your people. So I prayerfully urge you to leave a, 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 a departed man's, a woman's arrival into heaven to the God who saved him or did not. It is not for us to judge. When we hear of a suicide, as Christians, we should be quick to pray, slow to judge. We should reach out to the families involved and say, I am here. I, I, I want what you, I, wanted, I want to lift you up. God knows how to keep his own. If you remember in Genesis 18, it says, shall not the judge of the earth do right? I would submit to you this morning that, that the judge of this world, the judge of all the earth, will indeed do right. Whomever it is that stands before him. And guys, guess what? It will be you or I one day. And I can say here with all assurance, when whomever stands before Jesus Christ, whomever stands before that judge, whether it's you, me, this person, that person, that suicide victim or that individual over there that died in another way, whomever stands before the Lord is going to stand before the true judge who will do right. And I can have the faith and the assurance of knowing he is there. I, I, I choose to take the words of Jesus when he spoke to the, to, the, to the young lady that was brought before him. If you remember the story, they, they caught her in, the, in a very ugly act. Caught her, in fact, we got to talk about this a little bit in Sunday school all ago. But they caught her in, a, in an act of sin, a very bad act of sin. And they brought her and threw her down in front of Jesus. And, and Jesus bent down and started writing in the sand. But yet, when Jesus looked up, what did he say? When Jesus looked up, he, he sees no one there but the woman. He looks at her and says, woman, where are those who accused you? Where are thine accusers? And she looks around and he says, hath no man condemned thee? Remember, Jesus said that he who knows no sin cast the, the first stone. They drop their stones and they leave. And he's looking at the woman. Where's the men that condemned thee? And she said, they're not here. No, Lord, they're all gone. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. She was caught in the act of sin. But God didn't care about the sin. God cared about her heart. He knew her heart. And I would submit to you this morning, and like I said in Sunday school today, that when he saw her publicly humiliated and drugged before the people, still naked from being caught in the very act of what was transpiring, his heart broke and there was tears in his eyes probably, but he still looked at her heart and said, where are those who condemn thee? Then go and sin no more. Folks, Dr. Joe Henry, very well-known pastor, another very, known, very popular pastor of yesteryear, but he says it very easily. He says, if you're not saved, then nothing else matters. That's the only unforgivable sin. If you're saved, then praise God. If you're not, then yes, there's a hell that awaits you. That's the unpardonable sin. The only unpardonable sin. I repeat the words of Dr. Adrian Rogers when he said, the man who ended his life with suicide was going to eventually die anyway. 
he just decided when that would happen. That's right. So very true. And I don't think that we should attempt to make more of suicide than what Dr. Rogers did. But even more, we shouldn't try to make more of suicide than what the scriptures have said. Eight suicides are found in here. And if you can find more, I want you to point them out to me. But out of those eight, not once did it speak to the immorality of it more than it was just a sin. Like every other. The real unpardonable sin this morning is if you are not saved and nothing else matters. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that is what's going to get you into a devil's hell. Bob said it very clearly when he read John 3, 16, 17, 18. God did that. He came and paid that price so that you may have eternal life so that you can be saved. But it's only through Jesus Christ. He is the only pathway. Is he narrow-minded? No, he opened it to everybody. But if you want to get there, you've got to go through him. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the unpardonable sin. And you're choosing right now where you decide to go. Not God, you. For God said, Whomsoever believes in their heart and professes with their mouth that he was the Son of God and he was resurrected, defeating death, hell, and the grave, so shall they be saved. Have you made that profession? If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, before you point fingers at others have, that have done sins, you better look to yourself or you're committing the unpardonable one right now. Now, if you do know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, praise God. Let's grow in Him. And one of the steps of growing in Him is to be quick to pray and slow to judge. And before we make an argument against something, we better check it out scripturally. Rather than just say, well, the church has always said this. No, it didn't. St. Augustine said it in the year 342. 350 years after Christ. And he didn't have biblical backing to do it. Where are you this morning? My Lord said, come on to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. For my burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, you can. If you do, and let's start praying for those who don't and praying for those that are hurting right now because of the loss of a loved one. I know the services that I did here this Thursday, probably the most people this little church has ever seen at one time. But you know, out of all those people, we had people down the aisles, down this aisle, had people all up behind me, down over here, listening by radio outside in the nursery. Out of all those people that were here, there was two little boys sitting right here whose daddy was laying right there. Rather than condemning, convicting, and judging, we should be praying for those kids that are right there. And the little girl, too. She's not old enough to know yet. But one day she's going to know. There was a wife sitting here. There was a mama and a daddy sitting over here. Rather than discussing whether he gets into heaven or not, that has nothing to have bearing. We should be praying for those two little boys, that little girl, that mama, that daddy, that wife, the brother, 
the friends, the families. It is up to the church to pray, not judge. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. But to be the hands and feet of Jesus, you've got to know Him first. I'm about to lead us in a word of prayer. I would ask you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, get that straight. You can come to this altar and pray. I'll pray with you wherever you're at. You can pray right where you're at. You may want to go across an aisle and grab a loved one or a brother or a sister in Christ. Say, you know, I want to pray to receive Jesus. Hallelujah. Have the faith to do that. Praise God for little Raina that she chose to do it this young. But you know what? You might be 50, 60, 100. It doesn't matter how old you are. Now's the day. Where are you right now? Where are you? So I'll stand. I want to lead us in a word of prayer. Father God, I come before you right now, Lord, to thank you for this opportunity that we can come and gather together in your house. And I thank you that you've given us your word that we don't have to guess at how we're supposed to act on social issues. I don't have to guess and try to figure out what's going on. You show us straight up. And with this social issue here, you told us there's one unforgivable, unpardonable sin and that is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, turning our back on you. God, I pray your will to be done here this day. If someone has committed that unpardonable sin and has not accepted you, maybe they've been coming to church their whole life and they're just now realizing for the first time that, that it's all been an act. They're just now finally truly coming to know you. God, I would pray that you would get this straight in their heart before it's too late. Let them walk down this aisle. Not worry about what others may think, but truly come to know you. God, may your will be done in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. As we sing this morning, if God's speaking to you, and you may be saying, well, you know, I've never been to a church where they would talk about suicide so openly. I would say that's very sad. We need to talk about everything in the open. What's kept in the dark, Satan plays with. What's put in the light, is God's domain. Let's leave it out there. Maybe you need to talk to me or someone else. Let's put it all out in the light this morning as we sing, guys. Mm-hmm.